Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the 2021 virtual CCB, that's the California Council of the Blind, conference and convention, Building Our Future, Remembering Our Past. Um, This morning, we have two great advocacy workshops for you, and here's advocacy workshop number one. I'm Sarah Harris, First Vice President of the CCB, and I like to call myself the lady that wears lots of hats. And I'm here with Stephen Mendelson, Chair of our Advocacy Committee. And today, we're going to bring to you um, a great panel where we're going to talk about how we do a lot of advocacy in everyday life, right? Like, we don't even realize that we're doing it. When when I went to my husband and I said, please, please, please do not do any lawn work this weekend, guess what? Um, that was advocacy because I, I didn't want you guys to hear him with his lawnmower. That's his best friend. But I'm going to go ahead and hand things over to Steve to introduce our panel and to get the fun started. All right, Steve, you're up. Thank you, Sarah, and good morning, everyone. Uh, and as Sarah said, uh, advocacy is something that we all do in everyday life, and we're going to find that out to be the case in a unique way in a couple of minutes. Now, I know some of you probably are saying advocacy, well, I've been there, done that. And some of you are probably saying, oh, advocacy, that's far too intimidating for me. That requires special skills and special knowledge and political adroitness and maximum charm, et cetera, et cetera. Well, it doesn't require any of those things. And to prove it, uh, although many of the people on this panel do have some or many of those things, but it doesn't require those things. And to prove it, we've asked six members of our organization uh, to come forward and relate their own personal advocacy experiences uh, in three sectors. Some will be triumphs, some will be disappointments, but uh, they have all learned from their experience and you will learn from their experience too. And you will see that there are many, many ways to uh, 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 do the advocacy work uh, and many different paths to advocacy success. So we're going to be talking about a employment situation. We're going to be talking about a personal situation, and we're going to be talking about a public accommodations, a retail store situation. And we're going to have two panelists telling us their experiences uh, in each. They're going to have five minutes each to speak. And then we're going to do something else. We're going to ask one of you, someone from the audience at random, to come forward and relate a different kind of experience. And frankly, I hope it'll be someone who has uh, a diverse experience in part because of the of their their cultural background or perhaps even because of ethnic considerations where there's a complexity perhaps that they felt was involved in the situation. Uh, so with all that said, and with nothing more to say, we're going to begin uh, with our first panelist, who is Sylvia Blanco. And Sylvia, welcome and thank you for coming and tell us your story. Good morning, everybody. So um, my story, um, I for just to start off, I worked in retail for for many years, and um, I received a, a number of accommodations at, at this store. Um, one of them um, was um, not being, um, not cashiering. So that was one of them. Um, one of the accommodations I asked towards the end of um, my time working at this um, at retail store was um, there was a, training I needed to complete and it was a training that I need to, needed to be completed every, every so often so I went to my uh, HR I asked her okay this is a training I need to complete I will need accommodations for it since um, 
it would be in a, in a PC, in a computer. And she said, oh, you know what? We, we um, don't have it in audio, but I'll have um, my assistant help you complete it. On the, on, she'll read the questions for you and the training for you, and you can answer and, and they'll, she'll submit the, the answers. And uh, that's, um, that was uh, um, what we came, what we decided to do in regards to that training. Uh, um, it played out very differently. Um, she didn't pass on this information to the rest of management. And it was uh, an ordeal when um, it came down for me to complete this training. Uh, they wanted me to stop the training, this to stop doing um, whatever I was doing because HR needed to, the, her assistant needed to work on whatever she needed to work on. And then I needed to, to go and complete my regular scheduled duties as a, um, a sales floor team member. So that's, that was my, my, um, that's what happened. Yeah. So, so, so Sylvia, I, I guess in the end, it wasn't quite as successful as you hoped. No, there was a, a lack of um, communication amongst management. So it started off real well and then ended it up in the unfavorable um, manner. Yeah. Well, that is unfortunate, but I really appreciate, I really appreciate the effort you made. And I really appreciate your sharing the story with us because as we know, getting the accommodations we need, especially sometimes in an employment setting, is not easy, and the and the law doesn't doesn't help all that much. So uh, I want to thank you, though, and uh, uh, obviously, great wish you great success in your future endeavors. We're now going to hear from Harold Lopez, and Harold, we're very grateful as well to have you with us. And why don't you tell us your story? Thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. Uh, for many many years, I worked for a wireless company. And when I first started there, it was very interesting because when it came to training, it was pretty much a pretty much a new, like a pilot program for everyone. And when I got there, I went through training and everything, and I got onto the floor and was working there for maybe about a month. And I met with my supervisor and come to find out that. What is um, my pump training about? Oh, sorry about that. Um, so. Uh, as far as, you know, I spoke to my supervisor and I came to find out that for our group, which was a visually impaired group, there were no metrics to measure our performance. And you can imagine uh, my surprise because I was expecting, you know, I was working hard and and it came, you know, came down to the fact that they weren't really keeping score kind of thing. And I was like, well, why not? And they're like, well, you know, we know there's issues with your systems and whatnot. And I remember thinking, you know, if I'm going to be here eight hours a day, and you know, working, I want my work to count. So I advocated, you know, every day for you know, you need to put in metrics, you need to put in metrics. And so one day, be careful what you wish for. About six months later, they said, okay. So now all the VI people are going to be uh, have to pretty much do the same thing that everyone who is sighted has to do. And I was like, uh, okay, great. So now you know, now we can uh, have uh, accountability, but. It's one of those things where, yeah, you know, it's kind of like, I guess I think of it as like when you first get on a bicycle, you know, they put training wheels on, they hold your hand through it, and all of a sudden you just take the training wheels away and say, okay, there's a ramp, go for it and see what kind of tricks you can do off that ramp. And so it's one of those things where we have to, you know, 
I had to say, okay, yes, there, there needs to be metrics, but you also have to keep in mind that you know there, there are there, there's a middle ground. You know, there's obviously there are some limitations. So with the constant struggle of going back and forth with uh, with them to you know uh, kind of you know find a middle ground, and uh, at some point they finally agreed to adjust the metrics for people who are visually impaired. So that way, you know, we, we could, you know, work hard and, and meet those requirements and, and progress in the company. And I'm glad that I did because if I hadn't, um, I wouldn't have been able to go from customer service to technical support and then a technical support coordinator. So I think it's important for us to be able to challenge ourselves as well. Because, you know, I could have easily been like, you know, oh, you know, at the beginning it could have been like, oh, uh, they don't keep score, then this would be nice. They get paid every day. I don't have to worry about it. But I think it's important to, you know, be able to uh, shatter those expectations in regards to what they think you can or can't do with a, you know, a blind individual. And so uh, definitely I'd say we need to advocate for ourselves, you know, in the employment sector, for ourselves and to ourselves, you know, to hold, you know, to hold ourselves accountable as well, to do as much as we can to, you know, further ourselves. Thank you, Harold. That story has a happy, had a happier ending, and we're very happy for you. Tell me, uh, were there any other visually impaired uh, people in that uh, 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 work line? And if so, did they join you in the advocacy efforts, or were you sort of doing that on your own? Oh, uh, you know, yeah, there were several of us. Uh, so there was, uh, I'd say, maybe a total. At, at the highest point, there were maybe about 20, 25 people who were visually impaired that worked there. So uh, when I initially started, I'd say maybe the first 10 of us or so uh, were able to, you know, uh, lobby for that. And then once everyone else came on board, yeah, it was already set in place. So that was a nice thing. Yeah, it wasn't there. At first it was me, but then as I started talking to other people, they were like, yeah, as new people started coming in and they started realizing the same thing, we kind of all got together and went and talked to management about it. And definitely strength in numbers helps. And yes. Harold, I have... I have a follow-up question. Um, was there anyone um, in that team that was not happy about you asking, starting that conversation about asking for metrics to be used um, to, uh, to, to chart your performance? Did you, did you find anyone that was upset? Did you have to advocate in that way to your fellow employees as well? Oh, yes, yes, definitely. There was, definitely, there was quite a bit of pushback. I mean, for the longest time, we were all in one group. And so that was the other thing, too, that I didn't like was that we were the VI group. So they had, you know, we were known as that special group. And normally the way it would work is about every three to six months, they would rotate teams and rotate shifts. And so we advocated for that as well. Like, hey, we want to be on other teams, other people, so we can get to know other coworkers. And they kind of, at some point, we kept pushing and they finally split us all up. And people weren't happy about that either. So we no longer were just one group. We were kind of spread out throughout the uh the call center or the area. And I think, uh, I think that's a good thing, right? Get to know other people. Uh, you don't want, you, cause it reminds you of like, you know, when you're in high school and you all sit together in the same table at the cafeteria, right? Which is great and all, but, you know, how can you expect to, you know, um, not so much meet other people, but have other people meet you and, and have them, you know, sharing your experiences if, if you don't get out there and meet people. So, and at some point, people just got used to it, and it was what it was. But, yes, initially there was some pushback. But, you know, like I would tell them, so, you know, don't you want to progress? Don't you want to move on to a different position? You know, more money, more more whatever. And some of them were like, 
no, they just were. Some of them actually wound up leaving because of it. But you know, you do what you can to you know, you know, try to show people you know that you know there's more out there than just the, the bare minimum. So that's all you can do. Well, you did very well, and, and we appreciate it. And Harold, if I ever need to form a union, I'm calling you. <laughs> you got like my now, number. <laughs> yes, indeed. And thank you again so much. I'd like to now uh, try to invite someone from the audience who uh, might have uh, used a different technique, uh, either to get a good or a bad outcome, uh, but a technique that would be different and of interest to our members. And as I said before, I ideally like someone who came to the situation from a, diver- from a diverse background and who maybe frankly felt that somewhere in the interaction, some issue of, of cultural diver- diversity or even ethnicity or race was involved in those. We want to see if there is sometimes an inter- what we call an intersectional element to this. So if someone would care to volunteer and talk for a few minutes from that standpoint about their experience, we'd be very grateful. And we're looking for the realm of employment, right, Steve? Yes. Do we have any hands? Yes, we do. Uh, we have um, a 619 area code. Um, and um, I'm going to ask you to unmute right now. So 619, you can go ahead, please. Uh, star 6 on your phone to unmute. Greg, it doesn't look like they're un- unloud. Okay. Um, they should. Okay, they should be. They're still not. You want me to see if I can do it? Um. Uh. Yes. Let me just. I just. Okay. They should be good. Okay. okay. I'm unmuted now. Yeah. My um, my name is Jacqueline, and I live in San Diego. And I had a, a a situation that was real devastating to me. I was an employment um, supervisor for Independent Living Center in San Diego, and I had staff, and I was writing grants and making them money, and they had a management team. And the management team was all males, and they were uh, males with physical disabilities in wheelchairs or on crutches or some other type of disabling condition, but they were all males. So I asked if I could be a part of the management team because I was the only supervisor at the department, at the agency. And so and I was, um, there was two African-Americans, me as a supervisor, and one as a bookkeeper that worked in the executive suite. And so um, the bookkeeper told me of a conversation that the two co-executives had. They said that, that um, about my request, they said it'd be a cold day in H-E-L-L before they'd have a woman, let alone a black woman on their management team. And so when I got that information, um, I went and I decided that I was going to quit my job. I called the CEO of Easter Seal Society because that's where I had a large grant and she was very pleased with the work that we were doing, getting people um, with disabilities um, employment. Um, And so 
the CEO of Easterseal called the executive director of the Independent Living Center and told them either they put me on management team or they're going to pull their money and set me up in an agency by myself. So, um, and they did. They saw it Easter Seals way. They didn't want to lose the money. And I got lots of money from the Department of Rehab um, for them and things of that nature. So it, wor it worked out, but it was, it was a struggle. And that's Declan, my thank story. you for, sh for sharing that story with us. It's an incredible story. And as I say, I can appreciate the, the terrible ang ang anguish that you went through, but your story is a triumph. And it shows that your good work was appreciated, that you knew how to bring that good work to the attention of the right people at the right time. It's a very good story. And, uh, and thank you for sharing with us. And thank you for, for persevering through the travail. Now, I guess we're going to go on now and move to a personal situation. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, we all have our personal situations, but we're looking here for situations. Well, we're going to let our two uh, panelists, if they're here, tell us about their situations uh, themselves and what advocacy they needed to do and how they did it and how it worked out. First, we're going to hear uh, from Patty Nash. I hope Patty is here. Hello? Hello? Hello. Do we have Patty? I think we're missing Patty, Steve. Who else did we have oh, for yeah. this part? Well, we have Gail, Gail Crossan. Gail, are you here? Either Patty or Gail are in the audience. You can raise your hand because we don't have you on stage. So um, one of you is in the audience. Would you please raise your hand? Steve and Sarah, this is Gabe. Would you like me to see if I can get hold of Patty and... Yes, thank I, you. I don't know if I have That'd Gail's number, but I can give uh, give Patty a call for sure. I'll, I'll, give, I'll you, give her a call. I'll give, and, I'll give you both your uh, numbers if you like. This is this is Andrea. Or is that Gail Crossan? Yes. yes. Okay, I can reach out to her. Thanks, Andrea. No problem. Thanks. We're on it. Awesome. And then, um, Steve, why don't we go ahead and and maybe move on to our next scenario? I'm sorry, sir. I, I couldn't hear you say again. And uh, maybe why don't we just go ahead and move on to our next scenario, and um, we'll we'll have Andrea go second with that one, yes, and then that's a good we'll idea. come back around. Perfect. Okay. Yes. Well, our next scenario uh, is a public accommodation scenario, uh, and uh, we're talking about uh, a situation which, again, is probably familiar to most or all of us. You go into a store. At least some of us remember what it was like to go into a store. I uh, used to go into a store, and maybe we will again someday. But you go into a store and you want to buy something. You're a good customer. You're Money is as good as anybody else's, uh, but you need to touch the thing. It might be a piece of technology. You have to figure out if it's going to be accessible, or it may just be an avocado, and you want to see if it's, if it's uh, ripe or not. Uh, but they say, no, no, you can't touch it. It's bathroom plastic, whatever. You have to buy it before you can touch it. I just want to look at it closely. I'm a person with low vision. Maybe I can look at it. No, we can't let you have it. You hold it in your hand. Sorry. You have to buy it first. So we're going to talk about the kind of advocacy that we might try and that might hopefully be successful in a situation like that. Our first uh, advocate will be Diane Deutsch. Welcome, Diane, and thank you for being with us. And Diane, you'll need to unmute. Um, Steve, real quick, this is Andrea. Before you start, um, Gail says she's trying to get in and has the wrong Zoom information. I don't know oh. um, what's going on. Gail has issues even you know, with our meetings trying to get in. 
because she's getting in by phone. So, Rob, can you maybe shoot it to her again, please? Because I thought I might be first, and I didn't want to get involved in that, and then you have you call on me and not be able to do it. No, I understand. Thanks. The phone number and the code. Don't worry about the participant code, Rob. Just send her the regular access information, and then Greg can um, unmute her. She doesn't have email, so somebody's going to have to call her. her Yeah, someone's going to have to get on the phone with her. All right. Do you need a phone number? Uh, No, we can't do that right now, Andrea. Why don't you go ahead and do that? Because we're going to have you go last. So go ahead and give her a call. Thank you, guys. And this is is Gabe. I just tried calling Patty, and and it went straight to her voicemail. So I left her a message asking, you know, checking that everything's okay and if she had any questions, so go ahead and reach out to me, and then I can help facilitate stuff. Thanks, Andrea. Thanks, Gabe. You're welcome. So, so I guess, Diane, uh, tell, tell, tell us your story. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Um, this is a personal story. I, Since I lost my vision, I have needed more than once to go shopping. And I don't do well if I can't feel what I'm buying. I went into... <clears throat> um, one of the big box stores in our neighborhood, and I needed to buy underwear. And I said, I want the, um, I want a specific type. I don't do well with elastic. My body doesn't like it. I broke out terribly from pantyhose, so I stopped wearing them years ago. So I don't do elastic well. I want one of the new microfiber um fabrics and of course everybody who goes shopping for clothes and especially underwear you know they're all packaged and they're hanging on this huge wall all different sizes all different types i described exactly what i wanted and i said and the gal said to me okay well here's here's some i said yes what does it look like and i need to feel it oh well i can't open the package I said, so how am I supposed to know if I even want to buy this? Oh, well, the other thing they never tell you is what color it is. The last package I bought had 10 pair of underpants in it. They were all different colors. I assumed they were all one color. Surprise. Eventually, I convinced her that she would open the package for me so that I could feel what it was. I absolutely have to feel what type of elastic it has if it has any. <clears throat> and I tried, she opened a few packages for me. She said, oh, you know what? I can just close these up. Nobody will know they've been open. We can use tape on them. Sometimes we get things back and we have to tape those packages shut. So this will work. So she did open the package for me, <clears throat> found the right size, and I felt it. And it, the elastic at the top is maybe, it isn't even, I don't know, it isn't even a quarter of an inch wide. It's less. It's more like an eighth of an inch wide. It's very light. It's not, um, it doesn't pull the top of the fabric tightly together. It's looser. And the, it was exactly what, she found exactly what I wanted after we'd gone through a number of different styles. And I purchased it. And it has been absolutely wonderful. But, in order to get somebody to open a package for you, it's like, I'm sorry, I can't see it. I need to feel it. I don't know what this is. I don't, I, and you ask them, do you buy things sight unseen? Well, no, 
I said, good, neither can I. And it's worked, and I've done it frequently, and I really haven't ever had any terribly big problems with it. That's hey, it. Anna, that's a great story. It sounds like your, your greatest advocacy triumph there uh, was to get uh, the clerk on your side, so to speak, to get the clerk to understand how reasonable your request was and how much you were only asking to live in the world the way that uh, he or she did. It's like when I'm on the phone with somebody trying to pay a bill and I say, okay, I always start out with I'm blind. <clears throat> and when whoever I'm talking to starts telling me to do things, I said, look, I want you to do something for me. Close your, You're in front of a computer, right? Yeah, I'm in front of a computer. Okay, close your eyes. Now tell me what you see on your computer screen. Uh, nothing. I said, great, that's what I see all the time. And you'd be surprised how quick they are to help me with whatever I need to pay my bill. Well, it's a, it's a, you've obviously been very successful, and we appreciate your sharing both the strategy and your successes with us. And if I ever need uh, a, a clothing consultant, I'll be contacting you. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Diane. You're welcome. And, and uh, now I guess uh, uh, we'll continue uh, on the public accommodations theme, and we'll turn to Andrea DeClotz. And Andrea, we want to welcome you and as, thank you as well f- for joining us and sharing your experience and hopefully your triumphs with us this morning. Thank you so much, um, Steve. Good morning, all. Good morning, everybody on ACB Radio. Thank you, Sarah, um, for asking me to to participate. I want to just make a quick comment on what Diane said. Um, I run into that all the time on the phone with people who, after I've told them I'm blind, well, can you see what's in the blog? You know, it's like they don't, they're on script and they they have not heard me say that. It just has gone right by them. So I think her idea maybe of taking a more direct approach is great. I'm going to try that and see how well that works. Um, my story is kind of an older story. And, and in a way that makes it even better because this was back in the early 2000s, maybe 2000, 2001. Um, I wanted to purchase a laptop computer. And if any of you mm-hmm. use JAWS in those days, uh, you remember that it could be quite finicky about the computer's sound card. This was back when we had Dr. Jaws. And if you started to load Jaws, it would do a like a kind of a diagnostic scan to see if it was compatible with your um, hardware. So um, the point was that if I was going to buy a computer from a retail outlet, we had to be certain that it would work with Jaws. And Um, If you purchase a laptop, often if you get it home and decide it's not for you and you don't want to keep it, there is a restocking fee, which can be substantial uh, for them to put it back on the shelf. So my husband and I went to Best Buy and Best Buy was relatively new then. I don't know how long he'd been around, but not too terribly long. We went to our local Best Buy and we um, looked at a couple of different options and kind of decided what I thought I wanted. We narrowed it down and we got one of the managers and this was on a Saturday. So they were fairly busy. We got one of the managers and um, explained to him what our issue was. And he said, well, I can't, I can't do anything about this now, but if you will come back when we open on Tuesday morning, I'm here on shift I will take the display shelf apart and get the computer out for you and let you try it um, on, as a de- you know, on one of the demo units to make sure that it's the, the computer is compatible and that you're able to purchase it. 
and that you can use it. And we were just thrilled because we didn't ask specifically for him to do anything. We just were, you know, could, how could you work with us? Could, you know, so that I don't have to return the computer if it doesn't work. Um, We went back on the Tuesday morning. It took him probably close to an hour to get, because you're dealing with these big high uh, metal display shelves and they had to basically take a good part of the, of the display apart to get that unit because those units are all bolted or connected in some way to the shelving so that they won't um, so people won't steal them. And he was more than willing to help me. Um, They were just really, really great. Um, They actually were super interested in what I was doing and how um, we installed the software to see um, if it worked, which in fact it did. And I did end up purchasing the computer from them. And um, it was a really, and that was probably my first experience of really thinking about accommodation, uh, 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 advocacy for myself. Hey, this is what I need. Um, You know, you may get a sale out of it. How are you willing to help me? And I've always had a soft spot in my heart for Best Buy because they really went out of their way um, to, to assist me. And they were very, and it was his idea. We didn't ask him, hey, would you be willing to, you know, they... They, he said to me, this is what I can do. And I think that was at that time was, you know, fairly forward thinking on his part. That's a great story. Uh, not only because of uh, your ingenuity and not only because of the positive outcome, but because it reveals something else that we often forget about, or at least I feel I often forget about it. Too often I frame the situation uh, as uh, willingness or unwillingness uh, to provide the accommodation. But as often, maybe, it's a question not of willingness or unwillingness so much as it is of how to do it. Uh, uh, you were fortunate that you had a, not a manager who not only was willing to do it, but who knew how. And you might well, yes. on another day, found another manager who was equally willing but didn't know how. So I guess uh, when we talk about these kind of accommodation situations, particularly as they relate to technology, the question of a method is sometimes as important or maybe even more important than the threshold question of willingness. Absolutely. And and let me just say that I think that sometimes we tend to approach this from a negative perspective. Like we think automatically we're going to get turned down. And I think if we can tell people what we need, often that's sufficient. I, I'm thinking also of like, because I travel a lot independently. I've flown quite a bit in my life. I've flown cross country. I've flown... Often, if you just tell people what it is, how they can help you, and you present it in a positive light, that's often enough to get, you know, exactly what you need. They just don't know. It's not that they're unwilling. They just, they don't know where to start. So if you can, if you can say, hey, this is what I need, and this is how I think you could help me, you know, are you willing to do this? Um, My experience has been and that often it's, 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 it's really a matter of communication. That would be a wonderful segue to uh, our next, uh, our next uh, scenario. But before we do that, you do have, you do have one raised hand. Sorry. Yes. I was about to say that before we do that, we want to get a perspective from the audience. So uh, welcome whoever you are. And thank you for joining us. We have uh, 510, um, with ending in uh, four two, you can go ahead and uh, unmute, please. Hi, um, this is Patty. I, I've been here all along, but I couldn't unmute myself for some reason. 
Oh, Patty, welcome. <laughs> hey, do you have time for me still? Or? Oh, we will. Do, we will do. We're going to go back to the personal in a minute. We're just going to okay. get. We just took them out of order. Could you? Okay, well, you can call on me and I'll be here. Thank you. Uh, All right, great. So I would like to to, uh, bring to bear a different perspective uh, uh, on the two stories we just heard about public accommodations. I'm not seeing any raised hands right now. Let me ask a provocative question then. Is there anybody here who, any blind or visually impaired person, was aware of ever having been uh, surveilled because of some kind of profiling in the store? Fortunately, I guess not. Uh, we do have uh, a hand raised. Uh, DJ, you may uh, go ahead and... Uh, um, and, and unmute. Yes. Hi. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, no, I've, um, I've been, um, surveilled, um, not always knowing that I have been, but it's been, uh, both good and bad, uh, in terms of having, you know, somebody like, keep ending up on the same aisle as you and you start now I have a little vision and so I could see you know the clothing the you know similarities I can't see eye color but you know I can tell it's the same person but I have had people then ask me if I needed help when I actually did and other times you know and and they helped me and it was it was fine and other times, nothing happened as a result. So I think it can work both ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yes. Th- thank you, DJ. I appreciate that. It, it, as you say, it's a double-edged sword. We're, yeah. Uh, can I can I comment oh, yes. about about any of, of the other people's um, if, if you like uh, reports sure. Go real ahead. quick? Okay. Sure. Um, and and I think people who have worked in retail. Uh, relatively maybe say in the last 10 years or so they can all tell you that um that they can open up packages for you to see and um and and the employees uh, if like andrea said you explain what you're needing and like diane i think it was diane that um then people become more receptive and that and because they can and they can close stuff back up if it's something that they can't then sell it you know they they have other shelves they can put stuff on you know uh for that reason Uh, my daughter worked in walgreens for years and um used to tell me how that worked and that she'd open up things and she worked in cosmetics and that so anyway that's i just wanted to add that as well it's it's something they can all do all right appreciate that it's it's good it's good to know thank you for sharing it with us thank you Uh, it's important it's important to all keep in mind so this has just been a wonderful segue into our into our final segment which is what we call personal situations uh maybe some some family member or a friend or neighbor is a little bit too helpful, a little bit overbearing, probably means well, but it can create all kinds of awkwardness. And again, we all deal with these situations 
in everyday life. Uh, and I'm going to have uh, Patty go first and tell us about her situation. And then if we have Gail here, uh, she'll tell us about her. So let me introduce and welcome and thank Patty Nash. Whether we like it or not, there are people who think they know better than we do what we need because we're blind. And so we can be taken advantage of or told what to do, but certainly they, they know better than we do what we need. And, um, and so, like, for instance, if you, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of the things which keep us from advocating for ourselves, which is fear of what people will think, the time it will take to resolve an issue, the cost and the feeling of unworthiness, or even of shame, or just feeling isolated. Of course, we know that in CCD we're not isolated. We can seek legal assistance, garner uh, support, and get feedback from others, and gather information about the situation. The situation and the laws governing it. It's not news to anyone that here in the Bay Area, the cost of living is very high. And I've been in my apartment for 12 years, and my rent has in, has doubled in that time. And one of the increases were, was for $400, and I was told very offhandedly that, that it's a prime location. And I didn't feel that I had the wherewithal to move, and I liked where I was, so I so I paid my rent and went without a little more. Right after that, uh, the new management decided that they were going to charge me for utilities, which were not included in my lease, and they were going to fluctuate each month, so you didn't know what your rent would be every month, and I didn't think that was right, and I think Michael Finney had said on his program that if you didn't receive a bill for a utility directly to you, that you didn't have to pay for it, but um, I'm also... um, belong to a group that, <clears throat> excuse me, of a senior and disfa- disabled people, which deals with renter's rights. And and I know there was a legal service which could assist with tenant and other issues for low cost or no cost, so I went there. I didn't have a copy of my lease, and when I asked the owner for one, she said that all the paperwork had gotten lost when she came then on board. And... The attorney that I visited with said I did, did indeed qualify for their assistance. She stated that she would never take an action without first letting me know because, of course, the, the, the bottom line was my fear of maybe being evicted. So I went ahead and paid these payments and um, for a long time, and um, and the manager is sort of tried to intimidate me by saying I was the only tenant who didn't want to pay the, the, the um, charges. And, and when it turned out that um, almost all of the tenants had complained and were taking action, and I received a check for $1,000. And I feel that because um, my actions may have assisted other tenants as well and inspired advocacy and, um, for that reason, we don't ever want to give up or feel that we can't, don't, we, we can be empowered. And in our meetings, of course, we always are. And we know that we have support. We need to advocate whether it is to receive better medical care, to fill out necessary forms, get our groceries on time, or getting what we, we ask for getting a safe signal so that children can cross on their way to school or dealing with an 
inaccessible website and getting our COVID vaccinations. Um, but unfortunately, the work for advocacy is always ongoing. There is now in our city an effort being made to have renters pay the cost of capital improvements after we've had a victory in rent control. And, you know, the landlords already probably get a tax incentive, so they might even be double-dipping. So um, we, we have to always be confident that we need to keep working. And that's... Well, that's a great story, Patty. Thank you. Thank I, you. I want to commend, commend your tenacity. Uh, and uh, it's interesting how you understood the importance of uh, group activity, of concerted activity, uh, both in, in CCB and among renters. And uh, all I can say is if I ever have any trouble with our co-op management, I'm calling you. <laughs> thank you very, thank very thank much. Thank you. And, uh, thank we you, have Patty. So if there anyone that's up here on our panelist side that would like to maybe share a story about um, a, an experience where, you know, you had to tell someone really close to you that you really loved and respected, thanks, but no thanks. You back know, off. That yeah, back off. <laughs> Any, anybody have a story like that that they'd like to share? We'd love to invite you. Don't everybody unmute at the same time. I have one. Oh, well, <clears throat> um, I was going to go to the bank with a friend of mine, and we went together. And when we got to the teller window, she came right up next to me and wanted to see what I was doing. And I said, oh, you can go into the, the other line and, and get your business done while I ha have mine because I really need your help. Thank you very much. But I appreciate it. And I don't know, maybe because I had a hard time saying that even, even though I knew that it wasn't right that that would have happened. Um, well, anyway, <laughs> um, she heard and she listened and she didn't mind. And, you know, and that's the truth, you know, Patty, is sometimes people, they just don't know, and, and we just need to tell them. And once we do, you know, that, that that's what makes the difference, because then they learn, you know, how they can best support us. Right? Well, and it didn't impact our friendship one little bit. I mean, she was fine with uh, it. Yeah, I, you know, I like but, to think that has to do with the way, the way you oh, said fine. it, though. I mean, I can imagine somebody's using the same words, but maybe in a different way and with a different result. So I think probably how you said it is very important, too. Steve. Yeah. This is Larry. Yes, Larry. I usually I tell people if they if they want I, when I'm talking to them, for instance, if somebody wants to help me with my mail or whatever, we already have it agreed upon. For instance, the person who who's helping me and helped Melinda when she was alive, we asked her to come over and she knew exactly what we wanted. But there have been occasions when somebody's for whatever reason, walks over and thinks that our kitchen is theirs and they pick up something and they begin to tear it open. It's happened a couple of times and I I knew exactly what they were doing. They were trying to help open mail to see what was junk and what was normal and usable. And in both cases, we both agreed that that wasn't going to happen. So we said, well, what are you doing? Oh, we just wanted to help you with your mail. I said, okay, you need to ask me first if you want to help me with mail. 
if I want you to, we certainly will do that. That's perfectly fine. But but we need to be the one who decides whether that's actually going to happen. And they said, oh, and they didn't even think about it. They were just trying to help. So again, it's all in the approach. And and then from that uh, that point on, they said, do you need any help with mail? That's a great story, and that really does yes. illustrate the point very well. Uh, if you you know if you said get you get out of here, what are you doing? They would have been very different outcome. I'm, I'm turning uh, my guide dog loose on you. Yeah, right. <laughs> you you do have several raised hands in the audience. We, we might as well hear from a few people. We'll still okay. wait for Gail, and hopefully we'll get her. But while we wait, let's hear from a few of our audience members. Okay. Um, uh, let's see. We have a five um, ending in zero five seven five one zero ending in zero five seven. You can go ahead and uh, star six to unmute, please, and share. Hi, with us. this is Maureen uh, for um, Berkeley Bayview chapter. Um, I had a situation recently where I had to go to the hospital. Uh-huh and have a um, medical procedure done and the medications they were giving me were not, I was not responding to them well and they were adding more and more and more and I was getting sicker and sicker. And ultimately I ended up having to leave the hospital, even though I was still, you know, obviously in the middle of being treated um, against medical advice and thank God I knew that there was a form that I could fill out and so I had to wait till the next shift of nurses came on and basically say to them very quietly you know um, please uh, get me a copy of this form I need to fill it out because I am leaving and my intention was, of course, then I went to the doctor and got treated somewhere else where I got much better treatment. But sometimes it's really hard to advocate, especially when you're sick. And, of course, against the um, nurses and doctors on duty and against maybe mm-hmm. even your friends that might tell you, you know, the right thing to do would be to not leave and you need this treatment. And I had no intention of not getting my treatment, but I just couldn't see myself getting it there. And it worked out very well. Maureen, that's a great story. And we're obviously glad that you got the treatment that you needed. But again, you illustrate something else very important, which is that uh, success and advocacy here depended upon you having some particular knowledge uh, 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 and knowing about that form and knowing to ask for it. And so it just emphasizes the importance whenever possible of having as much knowledge about the situation and about the options that are available as possible so that we can inform people in an effective way that we can couple our requests uh, with information that will help them to comply with those requests. That's very important. Very good. Thank you. And we're, we're glad you're well and we're glad you're here. Thank you. Okay. And up next, we do have Charlene. Charlene. You should be able to talk, so you can unmute. Charlene? Okay. Charlene, you have a little pop-up window, and you need to click um, unmute. I just got the pop-up window. I just got the pop-up window. There you (laughs) go. And I'm glad glad you made it to Zoom. Welcome, Charlene. Thank you. Yeah, we got it taken care of. Anyway, 
I have a couple of, of different things that I've done for advocacy. One is um, working with the airports and the, the sky caps. And the other one be, would be an accessibility one. Um, do you want one or both? Well, I don't know what our time is, but let's hear about the airports first because we haven't had okay. too one much of the on systems. Okay, one of the things I do when I go to an airport, they want to bring the wheelchair. I tell them, thank you, but I can, I, what I need is, and tell them what I need, which is just somebody to either yeah. you know, have my dog follow or to have somebody I can you know, use as a sighted guide. And I'm finding a lot of times, some of them really feel like they need to be, you know, do something and they don't think being a guide is that much. So I tell them, but if you'd like to, you can carry, you, you can, um, carry my carry on for me to the gate. And that kind of seems to help them feel more relaxed about doing it. They feel like they're doing something more than just being there. And they're, so their attitude changes. That's very interesting. I think that probably many of us have had that similar experience. I've actually had a couple of uh, the uh, airport service people tell me that they're afraid they would get in trouble. If anything happened to me, I wasn't in the wheelchair they get in trouble. And I'd say, oh, say, don't worry, but it's going to happen to me. And if it does, I'll testify for you. Uh, but uh, these, sometimes there are rules that we don't know about that cause people who we interact with on various levels to be fearful. Uh, uh, not fearful because we're blind, but fearful because of the rules that they operate under, the insecure jobs and so on and so mm -hmm. forth. But uh, uh, we just handle it as best we can. Uh, you also bring okay. up the interesting distinction here, Charlene, between what I'll call individual advocacy or self-advocacy on the one hand and system advocacy on the other. And I like to believe right. that whenever we engage in individual advocacy and self-advocacy on our own behalf, to the extent that hopefully uh, some lesson is learned by somebody or some result is achieved that will have some residual value that will be <laughs> system advocacy too. But uh, I noticed, I do notice that now in, um, on some of the airlines, not all of them, but when you read, you know, when you make a reservation oh, and you go nice. into the accessibility and um, they will ask you, do you need a wheelchair? And you can, you know, if you do, you check it. So you can put that up front so that they know that you're not needing the chair. Mm -hmm. Well, we're going to, uh, the, the freedom from being forced to use them, we're going to call that the, 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 the Charlene Ornelas rule. Thank you very much, Charlene. Appreciate <laughs> yeah. it a lot. Thank you, Charlene. And, and, and I hear that we have Gail. Um, and Gail, if you're out there in the audience, and if you can raise your hand, that'd be super. I was waiting on a city bus after a very long, cold, wet day, hungry, tired, and grumpy. We'll start there. And it pulls up, and I get on. Now, at those days, I had a cane and a rollabout that I'm dragging about. And I'm heading for a particularly favorite seat, which was empty. A gentleman got up immediately, moved himself from the disability section of the bus, and planted himself in the seat that I wanted. And I wasn't really happy about that. And then I, he came by, and he said, said, hey, there's your seat, and tried to grab me. And I went right by him and said to myself, I don't want anything to do with this, and found myself a seat somewhere else. And then he's, see if I ever help another blind person. Oh, yeah. Well, in a situation like that, you, you say to yourself, I'd like to do some educational outreach, but it's pretty hard to figure out how, isn't it? Yeah, I'm not sure he was educable, actually. But uh, at this point, uh, if he had just said, ma'am, would you like this seat? 
we could have worked it out from there. And I could have said, no, thank you. I wanted the one you were moving into. I've seen that sort of thing happen where uh, uh, the entire bus has turned into a referendum on my worth as a human being. Oh, no. Not, not, not much fun. But no, uh, from, the standpoint, from the standpoint of advocacy, you at least got, you got mm. to see that you wanted and you didn't do anything wrong. At all. Actually, I didn't. He, he stayed where he had moved himself to, and I oh, was oh. further back. I just wanted to get away from him at that point. To tell you the I don't blame. I don't. I don't blame <laughs> that's great. That's great. We used to have a saying in New York with people like that: saying, "Don't make eye contact." No, I didn't. I put, my, put my head down, and and if I could have, I would have probably clobbered him with the with the bag that I was dragging behind me, but I didn't. Well, if I ever need a feistiness consultant, I'm calling you, Yale. Oh, don't right? talk about feistiness. I am so sorry about this whole mess. But anyway. Yeah. Well, well Gail, we got you here. And that's what matters. And like Steve said, thank you so much for sharing. And Steve, we have about, um, I'd say, two and a half minutes left if you wanted to give any final thoughts. Well, I, I guess I just want to reiterate what I hope this whole panel has demonstrated which is that advocacy comes in all kinds of forms, in all forms, in all sizes and shapes, and in every situation. And uh, really, in the end, what it comes down to is doing what we think is best and what we think is right uh, and what we would want other people to do or say to us. And I think in those situations, uh, we won't always have success, as we know. For example, we've had a couple of stories here uh, where good advocacy techniques did not yield success through no fault of the person. Uh, and I also want to mention again the idea that uh, system advocacy, which is maybe a little bit more remote to us, with the standpoint of changing laws or changing policies or changing procedures, uh, mm-hmm. is really, in the end, nothing more than an extrapolation of the kind of individual advocacy we've been talking about for the most part here today. We do it in groups, or sometimes we do it in emails or letters uh, or even in testimony, but uh, fundamentally it's mm-hmm. no different. Saying what we need, what we want, why it's right. And why it's beneficial to everybody. Uh, and we're asking people to meet us on the a level playing field of reason and human dignity uh, that we have set forth. So I, w- I want to thank all our participants again very much for sharing with us, for opening themselves up in this personal way. And we, we can't express our appreciation enough and also for the people in the audience who participated as well. <clears throat> so I think that's about it from my standpoint. Well, thank you so much, Steve. This was great. And thank you to all of our panelists. And, you know, just remember, assertiveness goes a long way. Um, and and we, we heard that throughout, you know, all of our panelists were very assertive in, in their advocacy and, you know, didn't go in screaming and yelling and, you know, guns blazing. And, and that really, you know, says a lot about, you know, who we are and, and you know what we're looking for which is just really the the right support and the best support and you know we uh we can all make a difference in our own little way so thank thank you you oh thank you and thank you to everybody and um i just want to make sure that we have artists and alice here to roll into our uh, advocacy workshop number two um make a difference yes i am and i'm here too sarah All right. All right. So we're going to go ahead and roll right in. And um, Artis, you're going to start us off. Okay. Well, welcome everyone to Advocacy 2. And our segment is called Make a Difference. 
And on my panel, besides myself, Artis Bazin, is going to be Alice Turner and Sarah Harris. And we're going to give you some examples of how you can make a difference. And this is going to be in your community, civically, etc., in a larger setting. Most people don't realize the difference that they make in the groups that they're involved in. And we hope these examples make you willing to get more involved and out there participating in groups and in the civic world. And first of all, um, I'm going to hand it over to Alice. Okay, got it. Thanks, Artis. Um, so the first uh, circle that we're going to look at is just in our um, in our community. And when we think about, you know, I, as I was considering this for work in our community, sometimes it also has to do with our own journey, with our own vision loss, and how it is that we feel comfortable and how it is that we feel empowered. And really basically how um, the information that we have and the knowledge that we have helps. And so I'm gonna just give you a couple of um, quick examples for myself. So the first example, and for the guide dog handlers that are out there, a lot of times um, one of the things that occurs for us is that we get to have interaction with puppy raisers. And so the puppy raisers, are we already know that they're committed. We already know that they're very interested in the work of guide dogs. They don't always know what happens when the guide dog comes our way. And so when I was first paired with my, um, with my guide dog, my very first guide dog, I sought out the lo local puppy raiser group, introduced myself, let them know that I would be happy to speak at any group. And um, that was going back in 2006. And I've been doing that ever since. And the interactions and the conversations and the relationships that we formed over this, you know, these past years or many years, um, has been really, really profound. And I have found that for me in speaking with the puppy raisers, initially I was getting accustomed to just being a handler myself. Um, and then now it's really, I end up talking to them about advocacy, things that are important to all of us. Um, and another quick example, store awareness. I was listening to the retail situations and it just, some of it, and I think when we hear examples from each other, it's really, really powerful because what happens is it triggers up different examples for us. So um, when I was living in Burlingame, I had a drugstore that was near me. And um, when I, again, was going in there um, first with my white cane and then eventually with my guide dog, I found that depending upon who it was that was working, uh, we had different interactions. And, you know, I'm feeling, you know, super empowered, letting people know what it is that they can do, um, that my dog is there, that we can help. If I go up for a prescription and a friend happens to be with me and they start talking with my friend, you know, I would say, you know, I'm here for the prescription. So, and, you know, so many different examples that were occurring. And then at that point, it was also the time um, when, when it came to the ATMs, um, as far as uh, you know, being able to enter in your own PIN privately. 
And so I knew about that because of CCB and, uh, you know, once again, and, and so there was a trend. I saw a trend going on. And this was uh, a store that I went into um, pretty frequently. So I um, made an appointment with the manager and I said, I've had good interactions and I've had some that are not so good. So if you would ever like you know, to have me speak with the group, I would love to do that because that will help me, that will help them. Um, I'm an open book, you can ask questions. And uh, I, I found not only that situation helpful for me, but it, you know, it certainly helped the retail folks. And I wasn't even doing this under the umbrella of CCB. I was just doing it saying, if I'm gonna keep on going here, I wanna be able to figure out how it is that I can interact with folks. Um, and to do it where I'm not educating everyone when I need to catch a bus or catch a train. Uh, let's see another example. Um, this, uh, this has to be again with the circles. We all travel, right? Some of us get even, well, we haven't been traveling, but when we do get a chance to travel, um, Rob and I have had a chance to go on um, a cruise that's a music cruise. And um, we maybe about three or four uh, um, people we, we figured out were that were on that cruise were, were blind. We found that after the time for us to be there, that towards the end of the cruise, if we were sitting outside or if we were hanging out, someone came up to us and they would say, my husband is here and he's experiencing some changes in his vision. He's seen you guys having so much fun. Uh, can he come and talk to you? And so again, when we can't see folks, we have no idea about the impact. And we said, you know, as always, absolutely. Um, come have a drink, let's talk, let's chat. And, and I think it's, um, you know, it's in that community and in those interactions that we get to really bring ourselves um, this one I'm going to say very quickly because my condo um, board was um, uh, not so easy, but it's a good one to be a part of. So um, I heard a lot of information earlier when it came to um, people with renters. So if you have an opportunity um, to even go to condo board meetings, sit, listen, explain, talk, um, because at that point, people will get to know you. And then if you need to advocate, as I needed to advocate with my guide dog, you can do that in a situation where you know the people that are around that table. And then service orgs. Um, so there's other service, the service orgs, or, or, I'm sorry, I say orgs, but organizations that are out there. Um, there's lions, there's rotaries, there's um, all sorts. And you may um, be comfortable, you may not be comfortable, but shop around, you know, show up and see. And again, many of these service orgs are committed um, to shared missions for CCB. But that doesn't mean that every single person that's there understands what it's like as far as a person who's blind or someone that, that is um, working in, with a guide dog. So again, um, just having that opportunity to have those conversations one-on-one. -on -one, and then when you need to have a conversation in a bigger group, you feel more comfortable. So I'm going to bring it over to artists now. Back to you, kiddo. Thank you. <clears throat> I've been involved with uh, churches all of my life. And <clears throat> I've always found out that I have to step forward and say I'm interested in a particular program because 
most people in the sighted world just assume that you wouldn't be interested in participating much. <clears throat> Our current church has a program called the Kirby Ministry. What it is, is a few of us ladies go to a prison in uh, over by East Los Angeles, and it's called the Kirby uh, Foundation. And what they do is it's a county prison. It's a lockdown facility. It's for girls from 12 to 19. And they are in there for about a year max, and then either sent out to the community or sent back if, they, uh, if, it's, if they're not ready. One of the things I found out when I first participated, I just attended, went along with a couple other ladies. And then the program needed to have a leader and nobody was stepping up, so I volunteered. And uh, they let me do it since I had been to a few of the functions in the past. Well, I didn't really know if I was making a difference or not. All we did was play games with the girls and share crafts with them and bring snacks and just talk to them once a month. And then one time I told my story because one of the things a lot of these girls don't have is hope. They come from sad backgrounds. Their parents are in prison or uh, can be on the streets. They have bad relationships with gangs and that's how they get into the trouble they're in. And I told my story of losing my sight and my steps forward once I lost my sight. And afterwards, uh, a couple of the girls told me it changed their lives. The one gal had um, tried to commit suicide a couple of times, and she just was going to give up. And after she heard me tell my story, she said now she knew that she could do it. And now she was planning to become a nurse and maybe a doctor in the future. In my church, I also have participated in the session, which is a, the leading group in the church. It makes decisions for the church, etc. And when I was first asked to be part of this session, I learned that they were sent lots of documents each month that we had to read through. And at first, a lot of times they would scan the documents and send them to me in Word, but I couldn't read them because they were scanned. And after bringing it to their attention several times, they did get a program where they could OCR them so that I could read them. And I really expressed my, my happiness that they were able to do that because that way I could participate better because I knew exactly what was happening um, in the church and what changes needed to be made for the future. Another example I'm going to talk about is uh, business associations and organizations. I have my own business and have had for many years. And when I moved to Burbank, I uh, went to the Burbank Chamber of Commerce and met many people there. And uh, they talked me into joining a group called Burbank Business Network International. And it is you do pay dues to participate. And in the beginning, they never asked me to do anything. They had several committees to make sure it moved forward because the main purpose of the organization is to refer business to one another. And I found out that at first I wasn't getting referrals 
I think because of my blindness, they didn't know if I could actually do the job. So I offered free services to some of the businesses. And then they could tell that I knew what I was doing and I could make a difference in their business, helping it move forward. I also volunteered to be on their membership committee and uh, make calls uh, to look, check on references for new businesses coming into the organization. Then they asked me to be education person where you give two or three minutes of tips for business owners each week. And then I was vice president uh, for a few years. And I think by my stepping up and volunteering to assist in any way I could, they decided that actually I could do the job. And it's, it's been a more challenge more recently because they've gone to doing everything online to submit your referrals because we're not meeting in person currently. And that has been a challenge because their website is not fully accessible. So I've had to advocate on my behalf to get the website accessible. And they've made some changes, but it's still not uh, fully accessible. I, I also was invited to attend American Business Women's Association. And I joined that a number of years ago. And currently, I'm the president of our local chapter, primarily because not too many people wanted to step up and I volunteered. And many times that's the way we get into organizations and can make a difference is by volunteering to assist. In a lot of organizations in our community, people don't step up. So even if you're blind, they're willing to see if it's going to work. And by your commitment and doing the best you can, you can show them that you can make a difference and you can help them to move forward too. Okay, I'm gonna turn it over to Sarah now. Hi everyone, thank you, Artis. Um, so the first example that I'm gonna talk about is, um, you know, for many of you may or may not know, I have a 17 year old daughter. Um, when she started school, um, it's a little intimidating, you know, walking into the school, I could hear parents, teachers, everybody kind of whisper and question, like, how in the world could I have a kid? Well, you know, I had a kid the same way everybody else does. Um, but the biggest piece was really talking with teachers and letting them know, you know, what I needed from them. You know, every kid brings home a bunch of papers in the backpack. Well, when my kid was in kindergarten, she could kind of sort of read, but she couldn't read everything to me. And so I worked out a deal with the teachers to make sure that, you know, I was able to, you know, hear the important information from them. They would take the time and give me a call. But that was only because, again, I would go in and ask about it. Um, when it came time for field trips, I really, really wanted to chaperone, you know, growing up as a kid, you know. Um, my parents didn't really do a lot of that. And I wanted so badly to be that kind of parent. And so when it came time to sign up, the teachers were a little iffy about it. They would partner me with another parent, um, which sometimes was fine. Um, but then as they came to learn, I was the parent that never lost a kid. Um, and so I was asked to chaperone all the way through elementary school because um, you know, I always talked to the kids that were with me and made sure that they were all accounted for. We had a system and it worked well. Um, and so I'm glad and proud to say that I do have that track record of never losing a kid. 
Um, but again, it was all about just taking that time to talk with, you know, teachers, talk with the principal, you know, other staff within the school, other parents, and, you know, really, you know, say, hey, you know, I, I would like to help and here's how I can. And, you know, then they were able to recognize that because, again, as we've talked about before, sometimes people just don't know unless you tell them. Um, the next thing that I'm going to talk about is a group called Project Athena Foundation. Um, and some of you know, I've done a few adventures with them. I uh, was part of a 2017 uh, marathon, walking marathon through San Diego. I had never done anything at all um, athletic in my life, much less walk a uh, 26-ish miles. Um, and with a group of you know, strangers and my 13-year-old daughter, nonetheless. And so through talking with them and working through, um, you lead me, don't drag me, all the same typical things, um, talking about how they could describe what was around us to me, they really got intrigued and really became, became really excited about being able to show me the world. Um, and so it became just this really great collaboration. Um, they asked me to become an ambassador for them and to, you know, reach out to other people to be a part of this amazing group that take people who have had different things in their life happen, whether it be, um, you know, a traumatic accident like myself, um, or people who've had medical setbacks, um, other emotional setbacks in their life and, and really kind of get their groove back. Um, I was able to convince um, two of my friends, Jamie and Shanir, to join us in 2018 to do the same thing. Um, they're in San Diego, which was fantastic because then they were able to kind of um, add the layers of how, you know, they could be supported as well. Um, the following year, we had another one of our members from the Fresno chapter go on um, the same San Diego journey, and um, his name was Jonathan. And Jonathan, again, same thing. We all have need different support. We all have different ways of doing things. So they added in that extra layer. By the end of 2019, um, they had become just the whole group of Project Athena folks had become so intrigued and so used to having... Um, us along that, uh, you know, I like to say they became our, our pro allies in the sense of they would jump in and teach, you know, other people who were on the adventures um, with us of how we could be best supported. Well, at the end of 2019, Shanir and I went on a 120 mile uh, biking and kayaking uh, trek from uh, Key Largo to Key West in Florida. And um, it was exciting because they weren't afraid of, you know, us jumping on the back of a tandem bike or, you know, being in a kayak, all those different things. So it was just so nice to see that relationship grow. And the last one that I want to talk about, um, and a lot of us have faced this one, is, you know, I, when I am out in the community and I'm at a new meeting, um, so my day job, I, I, I'm a program manager for uh, Center for Independent Living here in the Central Valley. And, you know, I go into a lot of meetings and sometimes it's a new place and I'll have folks, you know, come up to me and go, oh, can, can I help you? Are you lost? And, you know, that gives me the opportunity to say, no, I'm lost. I'm not lost. I'm here to, you know, be part of this meeting. Sometimes I hand them a business card and, um, and I really just, 
you know, make sure to, you know, take the time to, you know, talk to those who are sitting around me. Um, if there's lunch being served, you know, I do ask for help. I don't sit there in the corner starving because um, people want to help. They just sometimes don't know how. And so that's really what I do. Um, so now we want to invite uh, one or two folks, depending on how long um, we have here, to maybe talk about some of their experiences in their own circles and um, maybe something different than what Alice, Artis, and I have talked about. So, Greg, do we have any hands? No, but um, not right now. But if you'd like to raise your hand, it is Alt-Y on the PC, Options-Y on the Mac, uh, star nine on the phone and um, on the app it's on the lower left hand uh, corner and actually we do have one raised hand um, five um, five one zero ending in one one six you can go ahead I've allowed you to talk you can go ahead and unmute Hello, everyone. This is Warren Cushman, and uh, I would like to agree with the panelists about being out in the community and uh, being and representing oneself in the community. I have done that for quite a while. When I lived in Sacramento, I I served on an environmental council of Sacramento board. I was an active member of my church. I was also in the California Democratic Party for a while, and I really got a taste of working in the community and really um, working outside the field of blindness or disability-related advocacy. Uh, and I really found that to be uh, helpful and supportive in the sense that I, would, I got a chance to educate others and relate to others uh, and uh, teach others about, about what it means to be blind. And so I, I found that very supportive and, and very helpful, and I want to endorse that idea. Now that I live in the, in the Bay Area, I'm now living in the Bay Area, I have found a totally new area of advocacy, mental health, and I'm doing the same thing in that arena, uh, educating folks and working with folks who have mental illness. And, you know, I find that, that whole opportunity to be very supportive, and I would encourage everyone to, to find a field of interest uh, and, and not, mis- not just work with blind folks, but work with other folks as well, and cross-disability folks, but also just whether it be a church or, you know, some sort of uh, organization like the Lions Club or any, any interest that you may have. If you're a gamer, whatever you want to do, just get out there and, and interact and, and hang out and, and educate and advocate. I think that, that is a, it, it helps both the person that you're working with and it also helps you as, a, as an individual grow. Thank you. Thank you, Warren. And I'm sure all of that's very rewarding and you have some good advice. Thank you. And Greg, I think we could take one more. Okay, we do have uh, Charlene. So Charlene, you should be able to unmute at this time. So Charlene, you can go ahead. Okay, I'm unmuted. Um, One of the things that I find is that a lot of people just don't know how to work with somebody who is blind. But I've been on several committees have done some things like with transportation. Um, part of it being accessibility. I, for instance, when San Diego bought new trolleys, we went to um, Siemens where they're um, put together. We saw some trolleys, cars, 
and they had a couple um, bars at both ends of the car for upward, you know, stanchions for people to hang on to. Unfortunately, one was right in front of the um, doors for people that had the um, plate that comes out. So people who use um, cannot use a step up can get into the vehicle. And I told them we needed to take that out. And they started giving me a bunch of why they can't do it. And I just looked at them and I said, well, who's paying for it? They said, we are. And I said, tell them, unless we, they make that change, we won't uh, buy their cars. But what I've accomplished is a lot of times I, w- I have people thinking in the engineering and stuff like that with San Diego and um, some with the city of San Diego um, of accessibility before they get to that final point of getting things done. They're starting to look at it. And a lot of people just don't understand it, that they don't know. And uh, it's like curb cuts. They don't understand the parts of a pedestrian curb cut um, or ramp because part of it is to help a blind person um, tell where, you know, where the, the, there is a ramp there. That's why there's a flare on the sides is we can pick that up. That's why there's um, grooves at the top of the, um, of the ramp. And now to, it even helps to have the truncated domes in the ramp because people who are partial can now see that there is a ramp there. So one of the things is not to be afraid to, to speak up. And sometimes that can have everlasting effects. And you don't know when you do speak up what um, long-term help that's going to end up being. One of the things you do have to do, though, is when you're telling about the accessibility and the parts to it, you need to make sure you're not doing it from the city of your pants, that you're actually following the um, ADA regulations. You can't just decide to go, hmm. Um, one of my big things that I've done, I think that's the one I'm most proud of, is I've been the ADA coordinator for the San Diego Fair, and I've actually written a lot of policies for the fairgrounds, um, one of which is to allow people with disabilities to be on rides. Um, and that was a big one because when I first started, people, if you had a disability, you, you were automatically not permitted to be on any rides. And there's no reason for that. So anyway, those are some of the things I've done. But a lot of times when you step forward, you're actually making long-term changes. That's so true, Charlene. And thank you very much. And I think the other thing is, uh, you know, you never know who's listening, right? Who's listening when you're talking. And, you know, a lot of what you just said is uh, very, uh, uh, makes a lot of sense to roll right into our next segment, which is about civic responsibility and civic duty. Um, You know, we can really make a difference on our local state and even national levels um, through, you know, civic duty, which are, you know, things like jury duty um, and then civic responsibility, um, which is, you know, following laws, voting, um, other things like that. And so we're going to talk, the three of us are going to talk about some examples. And I'm going to go a little off script for one second here, because one thing that, you know, I just said was jury duty. And, you know, I'm the girl that I wanted to be on a a jury so badly because I wanted to prove that I could do it. And um, a couple of years ago, I had jury duty and I made it all the way in the box and then I got dismissed. But the judge was very interested on, you know, well, if there was certain kind of evidence, you know, how could we relay that to you? And he 
did really care. He really wanted to, um, he really wanted to know, you know, how they could support me if I was chosen to be on that jury. Um, you know, the defense lawyer, he actually was the one that told me, you know, <laughs> excused me. And I think it's because, you know, kept making the joke about, um, you know, and if you don't like my tie, that's not a good reason to, for me to excuse you. So when I got up there, I did joke and say I didn't like his tie. I couldn't help myself. Um, but that's just me. You guys know me. Um, another one that I want to talk about is um, we have a disability advisory commission here in the city of Fresno. And along with that, one of their subcommittees is the transportation subcommittee. Um, I became very passionate about our local transportation um, early on when I started getting out and about and around because we all know that, you know, there's a lot of issues within transportation. Um, and so I was able to get on that subcommittee back in, I believe it was August of 2016. And through that committee, we've been able to, you know, really make a lot of change um, and give a lot of cons consults on, you know, different things like paths of travel, um, some of the bus stops, making sure that they're accessible and that they work well for everybody. Um, we have some ticket bending machines. Um, that they learned very quickly on that they should not have um, rolled out before they asked us to check them out because there were some issues. And I think that our, our local city is regretting that one a little bit. Um, you know, but we've also um, been able to, through being a part of this committee, um, we were later asked when it came up that the paratransit contract was up here in the city of Fresno. Um, myself and um, my best friend, Shanir, who's the paratransit specialist here, we were asked to serve on that committee that got to choose our next paratransit contractor. And so that was really amazing because we were able to, um, as being part of that committee and talking with our local folks, give them um, the certainty that we could really help with those kind of decisions and give very informed opinions, not just uh, emotional opinions, because that's a whole lot different. Um, the other one is um, I serve on the Blind Advisory Committee for the state of California as a representative of CCB, along with Mitch Pomerantz. Um, I was just appointed back in November of 2019, and or I'm sorry, 2020, and that has been very, very amazing because it's something that I, I really, uh, every time the application would come out, I kind of thought, hey, I want to do that, but I was a little intimidated, a little bit scared, and then this last time it came out, I reached out to Mitch, I was like, hey, I, I, give me more information, what's the commitment like, because it is a four-year commitment, um, but it's definitely something that's doable. I do encourage all of you to, you know, come to those meetings and give input and be a part of the conversation because it's very, very important to be there. Um, what's really nice is that we have a good group, a good balance of folks that are, are able to um, be a part of different task force as well. Um, we currently have um, a working committee that's working with the state prison system um, to talk about how they can better um, support and rehabilitate prisoners who are blind or have low vision. That's been very interesting and very rewarding as well. So I'm going to go ahead and hand it back over to Artis um, so she can tell you about some of the things that she's done.
All right, Artist, you're up. Thank you, Sarah. One of the things about being involved in like the Burbank Chamber, people in the community got to know me. And one of the th first things I was invited to participate in was the Burbank ADA um, committee. And uh, while serving on that committee, I have the ability to tell the city of Burbank such things as where pedestrian signals should be, et cetera. Although I haven't had, uh, we haven't had too many placed in Burbank yet, but it does, it looks like it's becoming more promising now, but I've participated on and off for uh, a number of years and it's a worthwhile thing to do because you hear all of the possible changes that you could, could be made because of what you give them. And they look at all kinds of things opening streets up for um, the for pedestrian walks, et cetera. And then you can make a difference and say how that would affect people with blindness. Another thing I got involved in many, many years ago was the Los Angeles County Voters with Special Needs Committee. And I've been on that committee um, since um, 2001. And there I can, you know, give them feedback on what helps blind people to vote and the out, how to do outreach to reach out to blind people. And while I was on that, I was invited to participate in the original planning of the Help America Vote Act. I, the state secretary of state asked me to be on that committee. And uh, when that a law was originally passed, each state had a set of plan. And I was one of the participants that went around to different parts of the states where they had hearings and we listened to the public on how they wanted accessible voting. And that was quite a time commitment originally because of all the hearings and things that had to be done in order to make the state plan. After that, I just participated in um, meetings at the state voters with accessibility level where they made decisions on which counties should get grants for accessibility, what kind of grants should be available. And they also got into how to outreach to people, how to send out surveys to people, make sure they're accessible, et cetera. Um, and I was on that committee until 2018. So right now there's no blind person on that uh, committee. I also was invited to fill out an application for the State Independent Living Council, and I did get accepted um, and, um, and was appointed by Governor Brown to serve on that in 2013, and I served on that until uh, last fall. You can serve a maximum of six years. And there I was able to give input to the, the assisted living groups because a lot of times the um, um, different independent living councils don't always look at the needs of blind people. They look a lot at people with wheelchairs and they look a lot at people with developmental issues but a lot of times they figure, oh, the rehab department will take care of blind people. So they don't look at that aspect. 
And by serving in that role, I could let them know that, hey, this is what blind people need. Don't always just think about the other people with disabilities, but there are people that also have multi-disabilities. They might have blindness along with one of the other disabilities. And by my being on that committee or council, I could give feedback and help them to know what ways that they could serve blind people better. Okay, I'm going to turn it over to Alice. Okay, great. Thanks. Thanks, Artis. So um, what what we want to do is, is um, have you start to think um, for a moment. So that's my little cue to think that um, we're going to be inviting some folks. So the the phrase that we're, we're putting into place here is um, show up, listen, and step up. And what we mean by that is that um, we've heard stories um, from our wonderful folks that volunteered earlier. Sometimes it's showing up. Um, sometimes it's meaning uh, needing to do your homework. Sometimes it's bringing your own chair to a meeting. Sometimes it's introducing yourself and handing a card. Uh, there's um, so many different ways and every person is different and every person has a right to do it in their own way. So uh, what we'd like to do at this point, Greg, is invite, uh, let's start off with one person. And I would love to hear from someone that we haven't heard from yet. So just one person, when it comes to all of the things that we've talked about, um, specifically, in, let, let's look at civic right now. So committees, task groups, things going on in your, com in your um, community where you're working together to achieve a goal. Um, what's something that you want to know about or what's something that you've done? Um, okay. So, Okay, and we have Sheila unmuted. So, uh, Sheila, you can go ahead. Actually, I, um, I'm Natalie, actually. Uh, oh, unmuted. sorry, Natalie. Sorry. Oh, that's Okay. Uh, just to, I came in a little late because I had a uh, couple of things going. Um, I I think the conference is very interesting. I'm um, uh, I hope I'm not getting a little ahead of the game if I mention uh, one thing that hasn't been mentioned. Uh, so I do vote. Yes, I do. But I I'm happier uh, voting like with the absentees instead of like trying to go and try to navigate holes and stuff and I um, uh, I I don't think I would like uh, to like do any jury duty um, I um, I just I just think that transportation uh, getting navigating would be just too like too difficult. I think for me for timing, like if I had the time to transit for that, that doesn't. I don't think that would work mm -hmm. too well, and I just don't think that would be a good idea, at least for me. Sure. Somebody else, yes, but that's, that's I'm going the conference. I'm enjoying the conference. Hope everyone's doing good out there. Okay. And 
yeah, you can go, Margie. Thank you. Thank you. First of all, ladies, thank you for such a wonderful presentation. And thank you, Steve, and your group for your wonderful presentation. Um, <clears throat> I want to talk about civic activities here. Yesterday, I attended a meeting that caught me totally off guard. So just to make a short, a long story very quick, uh, here in the town of Folsom, we have had our own paratransit-type services. A year ago, two years ago, regional transit um, took over our town, and I knew eventually that they were going to try to roll us up into the regional transit paratransit system. That's what the meeting was about yesterday. And um, I'm very concerned and upset, so I've written to our, our, um, our city council member that serves on the RT board. I'm going to speak with Jeff and Jean, who sits on their Disability Advisory Committee. Um, this is a horrible time for this to happen because we only had two riders show up. Most of our riders are seniors, and there's no way to get a hold of our riders to show up and be advocates. And um, this is going to be horrible for the Folsom residents. So I will be at City Council on Tuesday, and I've gone to City Council before with other transit issues and other issues around the city. And just one other quick story I'm going to tell. We had a sidewalk vendor here in Folsom recently selling produce. This has gone on for a couple months, blocking the entire sidewalk. Each time I had to call the cops. And... Um, Long story made short, I got our code enforcement department involved. I got our ADA coordinator involved. And I would contact both of them every time this vendor would block my way. And they told me to call the police on the weekends. Well, a month ago, a new city ordinance was proposed um, at city council. This past Tuesday, it was passed. And in 30 days, it goes into effect. And um, basically, you can't be a sidewalk vendor in Folsom um, for those entities such as Girl and Boy Scouts, you can, but you have to leave five feet of sidewalk clearance. I'm not okay, sure good. what happened. Okay. I'm, I'm, I think it's actually good timing because um, I think you were trying to get, Sheila, we may have another time, I mean, excuse me, we may have time for um, a one or two minute example. Um, so okay. Okay. Uh and if Sheila's not if Sheila's not available, um, again, uh, I I would love to hear to uh, folks that would okay. like to ask she, a question. Yes, she she, is. Sheila, okay. you should be able to unmute now. I think I got it. Did I? Okay. Yes, yep. Thank you are, Sheila. Yep. All right. So the first thing I want to say is that not every person in the cross disability community is Ed Roberts. I'm not. I spend a lot of time in the cross disability community, um, and um, one of the things that I have worked very hard on in Alameda County is, as as people might have seen, um, there was an article that went around from the Kaiser Foundation that showed that all around the country, the I call them COVAX sites, the 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 COVID vaccination sign up sites were not accessible, and Alameda was one of them. And since January fifteenth. I have been fighting and, and it worked finally to make ours accessible. Um, and of all things, Brian Bashan lives in Berkeley 
And so I didn't even know that until this article came out, but I, um, I have been, uh, fighting to make the website accessible and, and make and, and widen the aisle as it were for, um, folks with disabilities to get what they need. And, um, I've been fighting for in-home testing, in-home vaccination. Um, and it's not necessarily to do with just blindness. It's uh, a lot of things. But the one disappointment I have, two of them, one is they'll let us volunteer as long as we like, but we don't ever seem to get farther. And the other one is when does the education end? When after 34, after 31 years, actually, it's more like 47, do we get accessibility like to websites and things? And I say 47 years because it goes back to 504 in 1973. So in the, in the, in the department, uh, in the Rehabilitation Act. So I'm just, I'd like to see some serious forward movement without having to one to one to one to one to one to yeah. one to one everything. <clears throat> Thanks, Sheila. Um, you know that that that's a that's a good provocative thought, and it's something I think for all of us to to keep in mind. Um, difference between education, advocacy, and legislation. So I'm going to um, turn it over to artists. Um, artists, back to you. Okay. Uh, we want to give you some tips to help you to want to get more involved. Um, one of the things I want to mention is if you have a passion or an interest in a particular topic, uh, find <clears throat> someone who has previously been involved in that particular organization, um, whether it's council, or it's ADA committee, whether it's a voting committee, whether it's transportation, et cetera, reach out to that person for support for you getting more involved. You can also um, apply for positions. Right now, there's not a blind representative on the State Independent Living Council. Um, after I finished my term, I tried to talk to a few blind people, and I put a request on the CCB list a couple of times in the past for people to put in applications. And I'll do that again as a reminder um, if you think you might be at all interested, uh, please let me know and I can give you the ins and outs and the positives and uh, in the commitment time, et cetera. And I'd be glad to share that with you as well as um, where you can find a link to apply. You do have to apply to the um, state because it is a governor appointed position. And so they do look at your resume, background, et cetera. And it's not too difficult to fill in. So I'd really like to encourage you to do that. We also have no position currently on the state accessibility for voters committee. And that's another position we should try to be able to apply. Right now, I don't believe it's application season, but I would inquire and ask when applications would be available next. Okay, Sarah, you're up. All right. Thank you, artist. Those are all really good points. Um, so the next thing that I'm going to talk about is surveys. Um, and, you know, I'm not talking about family feud. Survey says, um, but I'm talking about a lot of these surveys that have been circling around. Um, you know, we see them in our inbox all the time. Sometimes we get phone calls. 
And, you know, these are surveys about transportation, about accessibility to, you know, technology and websites. Um, it could be, you know, something in the medical arena. Um, lots of things that, you know, we could really give our input in. And surveys are becoming a big part of advocacy. So I do urge and encourage you to fill those out when you get them. Um, the ads and the extra layer. Sometimes we encounter some of these surveys that are not accessible. Um, I do suggest for you to reach out to whoever has put the survey out um, and give them solutions. Don't just go and yell and say, this survey didn't work with my screen reader. Um, give them solutions of some of the platforms that they can use to build um, their survey on that could work best um, for people who are blind or have low vision with a screen reader. Um, I've encountered that here with our local um, Council of Governments, um, which has been really interesting. You know, I, I always want to give input on, you know, the uh, admit needs of transportation, um, you know, the, the thing that you uh, fill out every year and, and, you know, you wait to see if something happens with it. So really, really do take that extra couple minutes. And some of these surveys, they, you know, they enter you for a prize, I mean, which is really cool, too. So there's a win-win there. Um, and I'm going to go ahead and hand it right back to you, Alice. Okay, great. Thanks. Um, thanks, Sarah. Um, so we're coming into the home stretch, folks. So what I'd like you to do is, um, as you're going to listen to some tips that the three of us have gathered, um, just some qualities, some things to keep in mind as you go through and listen to this list, go through your own checklist in your mind. Uh, what are the things that you're really, really strong? You know, what's strength for you? And uh, what's something that you wanna develop? And um, when it comes to developing, um, reach out. And if you see this quality in someone, just say, hey, you know, I would love to talk to you about such and such. Um, so the first thing on our list is um, resilience. And um, resilience, we talked about this as not taking anything um, personally. Big, big message there, not so easy to do all the time. Um, but um, you know, I'm sure that you've heard adversity builds resilience and resilience gives you strength and strength keeps you going. Um, so that's our first. Okay, on to the next. Perseverance. You need to um, keep at it. You can't expect people to understand right away. You have to take the time to educate people on how a change would be good for people who are blind or visually impaired. In order for them to understand the difference it can make, it takes time, 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 perseverance. All right, next up we have research. Um, I mentioned it earlier, you know, don't go in, you know, yelling and screaming. Um, sometimes if you do that, that'll just scare people off or make them, you know, turn their, their cheek to you and just go, oh, you're just complaining. Um, if you're respectful and you, when you're, you're educating folks and advocating, it's really going to, you know, help to get them to listen to what you have to say. Alice. Right, uh, collaborative style. Um, I heard lots of examples about work and this is a really um, big quality when it comes to uh, working um, and, and, and many different things. Um, but look for um, shared interest, shared goals um, and collaborate um, and come to a conclusion based on that co collaboration. 
And let's see who we have next. Artists. Okay. Follow up and follow through. Because one time stating something isn't going to help. You have to follow through with your requests on getting assistance you need. You have to follow up when you say you're going to do something and keep yourself in the loop on everything that comes up so you know what's happening next and what you should do. All right. <clears throat> next up, find champions. Find others who will help you to advocate. And, you know, I, I have to say I have a couple of coworkers that a lot of times they'll speak up for me before I can even speak up to say, hey, do you have that in an accessible format? Or, hey, can you describe that? You know, when, when you find people, you know, in your circles and in your community that, you know, will take the time to speak up for you, um, even when you're not around, oh, my gosh, that makes things huge. All right, Alice? Yeah, absolutely. So pick your passion. Um, one of the things that happens, I think, when we start to get really involved is we want to do everything because it gets um, very rewarding. Find the thing that's important to you. Um, really get successful at that, um, that will avoid burnout as well. And, and artists, back to you. Okay. Everyone can make a difference in your way and your own timeline. Go for it. Thanks. Okay. I'm um, not sure. I, I'm not listening to time. How are we doing for anyone that has a we have about Yeah, we have about five, four minutes. So if okay. we wanted to take a couple more examples from the audience, I think we could. Yeah, examples, questions, and again, love to hear from people that we haven't heard from yet. Okay. We have a 626 number um, ending in 548. You can go ahead and press star six to unmute. 626. Hi, can you guys hear me? Yeah. Okay, this is Pam Pollocky, the president of the San Gabriel Valley chapter. Hi, Pam. And hi, all you guys. Thank you for having all of us and for putting on such a wonderful, all uh, these presentations. Um, what I have uh, experienced in the past is I was nominated at my church to serve on the parish council and was uh, elected there. And then... Um, well, a couple of years ago, I decided to to apply to the city. They were uh, forming a group to um, uh, for a five-year plan to enhance the lives of seniors and disabled. So I went to City Hall, and um, a friend of mine helped me to fill out the application. And um, <clears throat> there were 45 applicants. 15 were chosen, of which I was one. And... Um, there were no other disabled persons on that uh, committee, but um, I found that when we had our small group that everyone was fighting to have me in their group because they wanted to have a perspective of a disabled person and what challenges that we go through and what successes that we've been able to obtain. Um, so I think even when we feel intimidated and we... Um, don't feel, because self-confidence is not my forte. So if I listened to myself, I wouldn't do these things. But I know that in, in uh, for others, and also when I was in the hospital with, uh, undergoing surgery, I was going to be in a study um, for the, the cancer surgery. And uh, 
that they were not going to let me be in the study because I couldn't read my own material and it wasn't an accessible format. So anyway, I got the legal department of City of Hope involved and I wasn't able to be in the study. However, there's an amendment now that has been passed. It's called the Pamela Amendment so that if anyone else uh, undergoes uh, surgery and has that study and is reading impaired, uh, they can have it in either accessible format or be allowed to have an advocate read to them and they will be accepted into the study so that they will be able to follow their blood work and have uh, um, cost-free treatment and so forth. So um, even though we always don't feel qualified, uh, we just need to not listen to ourselves and think of what's best for everybody else. Thank you so very much for having me. Pam, that's great. Um, that uh, just sums up so much of the information that we've talked about. So, um, Sarah, before I put, put it back to you, I'm just going to say one more thing. Um, this virtual world is wonderful, um, but it also has its challenges, right? Um, zooming, muting, unmuting. Um, just know that this is a welcoming place um, and um, we're here. So just picture yourself if you've been out of a convention to be around a table with your buddies and your friends and um, feel free to jump in and, and talk and share because that's um, presentations are great, but how we hear from each other is as important as well. So artists or, or uh, Sarah, anything else you want to say to wrap us up? I just want to encourage everyone to look around you and the opportunities that you have to get involved and don't hesitate to ask one of us or someone else, you know, that has served on boards to find out the ropes so that you don't feel so intimidated. Great point. That is beautiful. Thank you so much. And I want to thank Alice and artists for, um, saying yes when I reached out and said, hey, we should do this thing um, because I think it's been a lot of fun and, and I, I hope that everybody's got a lot out of it and, and has become more motivated uh, to do even more or didn't, you know, maybe you're realizing you do more than you thought and, and that's really what we were hoping to be an outcome for this. 